Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm SP. I'm the operations pastor here at V61. I'm taking on the baton from my dear friends, uh, James and Lauren. Uh, It's so good to be here with you today. If you are tuning in with us at Battersea, a really, really warm welcome. And if you're watching online as well, um, uh, a really warm welcome. I want to say there is something really, really special going on with you guys at Battersea. I was with you um, about two weeks ago. And uh, just your, your heart, your expectation to meet God in worship is, is just really, really inspiring. And uh, I just love seeing what's going on there. So, um, I, uh, if you, it, also, if it's your first time here with us, a, a really, really warm welcome as well. Uh, I'm going to start off today uh, by giving a bit of my background, where I've come from. Um, I grew up in the charismatic church. Um, My siblings and I were raised in a vineyard church in northeast Alabama. Um, I'm a 90s kid, and for those of you (laughs) who were in the charismatic church at that time know that there was just this massive display of God's power in the charismatic church at that time. Um, he, so God's power moved across, it was, it was like a global thing. The Holy Spirit moved in a really powerful way, but yet really strange ways. There would be encounters where people would be so overcome by God's presence that they couldn't stand to their feet. There were healings happening all over the place, miraculous healings, um, demons being driven out of people. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of this happened in times of prayer ministry and, and worship. There were masses and masses of people that would gather in auditoriums, warehouses, churches, living rooms to worship together and pray for, uh, f- with the expectation for God to move and do something. And he still does that today. Um, it was just really heightened at that time, uh, particularly um, I was a kid at the time, and instead of prayer ministry, uh, my friends and I at the church, we ran around playing tag and hide-and-seek, and speaking from experience, the best way to get away from the person that was it was to weave your way and crawl your way through the legs of all of the adults, <laughs> praying for each other, like huddled around, praying for each other. And um, there was this one particular time um, that's a really vivid memory. Um, I was trying to get away from, from my friend. I weaved and crawled my way through this group of like 10 adults, and I came out the other side, and I saw in front of me this woman on all fours roaring like a lion at the ground. <laughs> I looked at her, a bit puzzled, and then went, on, went along playing with my friends. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was, it was a really messy time, but, uh, maybe, maybe a better word for it is strange, a very strange time. Um, so, uh, my background is not only in the Vineyard Church, um, though, 
there were kids that I would play tag with in church when I was a kid. When I became uh, a young teen, uh, there was really one, only one other family in my church. Uh, so I went to a youth group at a Baptist church. Are there any Baptists in the house? Can I hear a woo woo? Woo woo! Are you out there? Can I, how about an amen? Can someone give me an amen? Um, it was in the Baptist church where I uh, gave my life to follow Jesus. It was in the Baptist church where I um, started leading worship, actually. Um, I was at a youth retreat when I was 12 years old, and I met Jesus and the Holy Spirit in a really powerful and intimate way. Um, there was one particular song. Um, you know that there's that one song at the retreat or the, at a conference you go to. Um, it was uh, Blessed Be Your Name by Matt Redman. It's a classic. Um, it, was, uh, it was the first song I ever learned on the guitar. My older brother, uh, he, taught, he taught it to me, and it's really funny because he doesn't play guitar. <laughs> it's the only song he knew. Um, uh, he is a brilliant ukulele player. He plays for his kiddos, uh, my niece and nephew. Uh, but anyways, he taught me this song, and I was hooked. Every day, I would get in my room and play and worship with this song for hours. And for two months, um, I, I learned this song, I worshiped with this song. And after that, that two months, I was like, I think I might have this song down. Maybe I should learn another one. Um, so every week at the vineyard, I would just go up on the stage and just steal one of the chord charts, <laughs> take it home, and learn it. Um, and I did this over the summer. And um, uh, I, I kind of built up a playlist of songs and went to my youth pastor at the Baptist Church and uh, asked if I could lead worship for the youth group. Um, we were worshiping with songs on, on a CD. And he said, well, let me hear you first, <laughs> which was very wise of him. Uh, and, and he gave me a shot. Um, I started leading worship as a 13-year-old and I've been doing it ever since. It's one of my favorite, favorite things to do. Um, and a lot of my formation and my faithfulness to God has been from this core and, and heart of, of worshiping God individually and then also gathering together and worship, worshiping him cor corporately. Um, so why am I telling you this? I guess from an early age, I saw the power of God move in people I saw young adults and older adults engage with God with such authenticity and expectation that I believe has really shaped me as a worshiper. That I worship a God that is real. I worship a God that I know. I worship a God that is all-powerful and majestic, yet so personal and caring. We worship a God that is so full of wonder yet he has fully revealed himself by coming and living among us. I'm excited to be kicking off uh, our worship series today. Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts 17. Um, the verse is also going to come up on the screen. This is a passage of Paul in Athens. He's brought before a council because he was preaching about Jesus and his resurrection in the marketplaces in Athens. So let's pick up Acts 17, 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, 
said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything in it. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that divine being, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And, this is he, and of this, he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. From this passage, uh, well, this passage is one of Paul's most famous preaches. Um, he's challenging the culture around him in Athens, uh, by using poetry and art in the culture um, to proclaim the gospel and reason with some of the highest uh, figures in Greek society. Um, Paul preached in the marketplace of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, and many people took interest uh, to this preaching because they had heard nothing like it. The word reached this council, which was basically like a senate at the time, um, and this, this council was really one of the first forms of democracy that the world has ever seen um, that has really massively shaped the Western culture. So Paul is making this comparison of you worship your many unknown gods while we worship a singular known God who is not far from us. And as I started preparing with this passage, I was reminded of Jesus and the woman at the well uh, from John chapter 4. He uses some, uh, Jesus uses some of the same language that Paul uses um, as he's speaking to the woman. And uh, I want to read this passage and talk through some of the things that both Paul and Jesus are saying in these, in these two passages. Um, so as you get to John 4 in your Bibles, let me set the scene because it's a long passage. Uh, so here's the SP message version again for all of those who listened to my last preach. Um, so John 4, um, at the beginning of this passage, Jesus is heading to Galilee from Judea and uh, has to pass through Samaria. Jews typically did not go through uh, Samaria because they despised each other. Uh, the Jews looked at Samaritans as muggles, uh, half Jew, half Gentile, um, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. He comes to this well, and his disciples leave to go into the town for food. At the well, there's a woman, and Jesus asks her for a drink. And the woman questions him why he, a Jew, 
was asking she, a Samaritan, for a drink. He turns it back on her and said, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And let's pick up here in verse 13, John 4, 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus answered her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. I, I like to read that in a really cynical voice. She probably wasn't very cynical. She, she could have been, I don't know. But um, anyways, okay, get back to it. Uh, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. This is the woman saying, uh, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he would tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I love this passage. It is a rich passage full of just hidden gems um, uh, that I would love to dive in and, and dig up. Um, but we're just going to focus on Acts 17 and this passage. Uh, there are two messages that I think really shine between the two. Um, and those are, we worship a known God, and we worship a God that wants to be found. So we worship a known God. This is a loaded statement that I want us to dive into. It is quite paradoxical and important for us to, as worshipers to come to terms with. A.W. Tozer, he's a famous uh, Christian writer and pastor in the early 1900s, um, uh, he's written some incredible books. He uh, has written one really special book called The Knowledge of the Holy. I really recommend it. Um, he starts off this book that says, uh, saying this statement, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Another way to say this is how we perceive God, how we know God, and the construct of our minds is the most important thing about us. It is from this basis that uh, where our lives, our actions, our commitments, our worship is formed. It is here where we give him space to be him, or it is here where we limit him and try and control him. Paul supports this point by saying this in the passage we just read, verse 29 of Acts 17. We ought not to think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone, 
an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God is not one built by imagination or idea or silver or stone. This belittles the very nature of God and confines him to our very understanding. So what I think is really important here as we approach God, uh, that, that we approach God not as an idea, but as a person, as a being. You may have heard me say this if you've been around here for long enough in a worship time. Um, let us not worship the idea of God, but let's worship the person of God. Again, it is in our heads where our imaginations can perceive him to less than he actually is. Tozer goes on to say in, in this book, um, uh, let us beware lest we in our pride accept the erroneous notion that idolatry consists only in kneeling before visible objects of adoration and the civilized people and that civilized people are free from it. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. What am I saying then? Don't use your imaginations. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's not limit God and construct in our heads a false God than who he actually is. I think we can go around in circles here. Um, uh, this is quite, par uh, it's a paradox that we know an unfathomable God. How do we know him? Well, he came among us. His name is Jesus. God has fully revealed himself through Jesus. And Jesus simply says this multiple times uh, to his disciples. In John 14, 9, he says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And in chapter 1, uh, 18, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So does this mean that I really only need to care about Jesus and what is written about him in the New Testament? Also no. It means that as we look at the Father, to know him in a deeper way, as we read stories about God maybe in the Old Testament, let's look through the lens of Jesus, his nature, who he says he is, and who the Bible says he is. And this is the second point I want to talk about, that as God has fully revealed himself, we worship a God that wants to be found. Acts 17, again, verse 26 through 28. And he made from one man every nation of, of mankind that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he actually is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. The beautiful thing in Jesus revealing himself to us is that the mission was to reconcile our sin and disconnection with him so that we could come to him and find him. He is not far. We are made in his image and we are his offspring. My, uh, my mentor growing up uh, described it as a hide-and-seek game that a parent plays with their child. Uh, 
And when the parent goes and hides, the, the, the parent doesn't want to be stuck under the bed for an hour. <laughs> they kind of, you know, leave their legs sticking out <laughs> under the bed. <laughs> they want to be found. They want to be found. God wants to be found. He likes to stick that leg out from under the bed <laughs> to be found. He's not a professional hider. And though he wants us to seek him, he himself is a professional seeker. Time and time again, Jesus sought out individuals for a specific purpose. We see in John 4, again, Jesus sought out the woman at the well. I grazed over this in the synopsis I gave of John 4. Um, but it says in John 4, Jesus had to go to Samaria. Now in that day, Jesus would bypass Samaria by crossing the Jordan River twice. You can, you can see it here. They would cross the Jordan River once. They'd cross another river. And then they'd recross Jordan again to get to Nazareth, to get to, to Galilee. Um, Jesus actually takes a, the more direct route. Um, I, I, I love Jesus' practicalness. We get so tied up in our religious judgments that we cross the same river twice to get from point A to point B. But, um, okay, so he went to seek out this woman to, to deliver this message to her. That there's coming a time where we will worship neither on this mountain nor in the temple in Jerusalem. That true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, and this is who God seeks. Paul says the same sort of thing to the council. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in tem temples made by man. Both messages were that Jesus was opening wide the temple. And when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the Holy of Holies that contains the presence of God in the temple, uh, contains the Ark of the Covenant, the holy box of God, it was ripped from top to bottom. God literally was breaking out of the box. God doesn't want to be in the box any longer. He's out and about, and he wants to be found by us. So let's seek him. Let's find him. We will find him. And let's look up. Let's turn our attention up. And with that, I, th I think... We are coming out of a season that has directed us inward. And I want to challenge us to look up. We've been isolated and bombarded with all this, these divisive hot topics in our culture. Uh, continuing to ask ourselves, what do I believe? What do I stand for? What do I think is best? And these aren't, these aren't bad questions. We can ask, our, our, ask ourselves this. Uh, but it's, it's constantly being isolated and bombarded with these questions. We've also been really focused on spiritual formation and the development of good practices for spiritual improvement. I mean, we've been preaching about it for the past 18 months and even before that. Um, and it has been so great looking at this stuff. But if we don't pair our inward looking with upward looking, then our practices, our rhythms become us-focused. They become self-help rituals for us to become a better human, for us to become a better Christian. 
I recently heard the story of a leader named John, John, Johnny Norridge in a vineyard up in Nottingham. Um, he took up the spiritual discipline of regularly fasting. He was challenged by the late theologian Dallas Willard, um, who stated that he doesn't evaluate the transformation that God um, has done. He doesn't, uh, what, what am I saying? Um, he doesn't evaluate the transformation that God has done in his life until he's regularly practiced a spiritual discipline like fasting for at least two years. And so this guy, Johnny, said, if it takes Dallas two years, it's got to at least take me three. <laughs> so um, this guy, he, he took on regularly fasting for three years. And by the end of it, he said he became so bitter and angry. <laughs> I, would, I would think maybe he's a bit hangry or something. Um, but he, the revelation he had was that he put all of the focus on the, of the spiritual discipline on his personal transformation. And that's what brought about all the bitterness. It wasn't focused upward. So as we continue to carry what we've learned in this last season, I challenge us to look up and turn our attention upward solely because he is holy and solely because he's worthy. Just like this, um, I think we put too much focus on the songs we sing as well. Um, I want to say that as we worship together corporately, the songs are just a tool to shape our language and expression to God. Uh, just like the church isn't a building, the songs we sing, we sing are not the, our worship that we give to God. And I think we can get really tri uh, tripped up on hoping for a particular song in a worship set or being really bummed that a particular song is being played or... Um, Maybe you're a worship leader and you're putting all the power into the songs that we're singing and the, the, the sets that you're crafting. But my hope and vision for us as worship, worshiping communities is that we are resilient worshipers. Worshipers that have a song and creative expression that is already in us that we can express no matter the environment and circumstances we find ourselves in. And also that we are worshiping communities where new worshipers can meet Jesus, fall in love with him, and develop this same heart of worship. Also, though, I don't want us to take ourselves too seriously. That we, uh, like, I want us to have fun. I want us to be creative. I want us to enjoy God. Um, Viv said last week, uh, one of the Westminster Catechisms uh, says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Worshiping him is the way to draw close to him. The Psalms say, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. His presence transforms us. I think a lot of times we can uh, make the mistake of... Uh, kind of viewing his presence as an inanimate object or a cloud or something that we can grip onto or maybe a feeling that we get. But guys, when we're in the presence of God, when we, when we feel those goosebumps, when we can't stand to our feet, it is actually him who has stepped into the room. It's the Holy Spirit, a person that has come into the room and revealed himself. 
and our bodies just, just react to his very being, you know. So where do we go from here? I, I'd like to welcome the worship team back up uh, here and also in Battersea. Um, we are, um, we're going to worship together again. And as I've said today, we worship a God we know. And we get to know him by, by spending time with him. I believe the Holy Spirit speaks personally to us today in a number of ways. Um, I think one of the ways he reveals his nature is, uh, is through scripture. Um, and time and time again, he shows his power in the Old and New Testament. Time and time again, he reaches out to individuals. This is the God we worship. He sets out on specific paths to reach out to a despised woman in a despised culture to reveal himself to her. He opens the door for Paul to proclaim who he is to the highest officials. In the Old Testament, he brings prisoners to the highest positions of nations to save them from famine. He splits seas and rivers for his people to walk through them. He brings down giants through unarmed children. He destroys walls and armies with, sound, with the sound of voices and trumpets. All through the Gospels, Jesus reaches out to, to touch the leper. He gathers the tax collector by his side. He defends an adulterous woman. He forgives his closest friends that deny and doubt him. This is the God that I know and I'm continuing to, to get to know. This is the God that we worship and we seek. And he wants to be found by us. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be known by you. Not because he needs you to find him, but because he wants you to find him. And he has a ton of love for you. Let's fix our eyes upward to him. And as, as we worship, uh, we'd love to pray for anyone um, to come, uh, if you'd like to come up to the front for prayer. Um, if you don't know God, you've never chosen to, to follow him. Um, I, think he's, I think he's sticking out his leg today. <laughs> I think he wants to reveal himself to you in a per, really personal way. Um, so that if that's you um, and you want to, make that decision to follow Jesus today, to come up to the front, um, and one of our leaders would, would love to pray for you. Uh, at Battersea as well, come to the front. Um, and if you need any healing in your body or, or you're going through a really tough time or you need breakthrough, we'd love to pray for you as well. So let's come to know him today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.